So Tracy, how's your Tamagotchi? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked because that's going to come up in a, in a little bit. Um, it's doing great. It's a teenager right now. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Okay. You'll see. But it's a teenager right now, um, and he's happy and hungry and only slightly overweight. Okay, so Tracy and I were like, we're going to get Tamagotchis. They'll make us take care of ourselves and drink water. Except all I'm learning is that I am not suitable to be a Tamagotchi parent or any kind of parent. I never had a Tamagotchi growing up, and all I can think about while using it now is how are children supposed to be able to do this? I know. Full disclosure, everyone, our Tamagotchis keep dying. Mine was a teenager yesterday, and then it died, and now we're back at square one, square baby. We're both (laughs) on Tamagotchi V3, I believe. (laughs) Yes, but Tracy's Tamagotchi is like a Gen 2, so when they die, they go back to space to their little Tamagotchi planet. I have a Gen 1, so when it dies, it fully turns into an angel that looks like a human angel. It does. It's really upsetting. It's awesome. (laughs) It's so good. We have the right ones for each other. Yes. (laughs) So should we just just flag it immediately? Yeah. Okay. Hey, everyone. Uh, This is going to be a mini myth because uh, Tracy and I are working on a super secret thing. She's in L.A. with me. I am. (laughs) We had to go to separate places to record. Yes, we did. (laughs) So we're still on Zoom, even though we're not far from each other physically. Yeah, even though we, I was going to say could spit at each other, but like, what's the non-awful way to say that? Could toss a Tamagotchi at each other. (laughs) That's the new version of within spitting distance, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Tamagotchi tossing distance. You know, I've always said it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're busy. We're hard at work. We're working Mm -hmm. on secret stuff. I don't know about you, but my brain is dripping out of my ear holes, but in the best possible way. Yeah. um, You've seen it firsthand that by the end of the day, I just start losing words fully (laughs) in the middle of sentences. Isn't it so embarrassing? Yes. And it'll be something like the word is kitchen. It's not like cuisine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, when it's with you, you get it. You understand. When it's with, like, strangers, how do you explain why your brain is mostly jello? Yeah, I was telling Tracy, I saw a video about, I think it's pronounced familect, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. The dialect that you come up with in your own home with your family. And y'all, it is getting weird with Tracy and I, which is why I think that the podcast is getting increasingly unhinged. We've just established a podcast familect. Absolutely. And we just keep saying weirder and weirder words. See, I just lost a word. (laughs) The word was words. Words are hard, but we are here to bring more words to you. Hi, I'm Rowan Hall. I bring the words. Hi, I'm Tracy Harrison, and I bring the... uh, Punctuation. Yeah, punctuation. Thank you, Rowan. (laughs) And this is Willing and Fable, the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Each week, we research a topic from history or mythology, and then we write an original story to go along with that topic. So if you'd like to support our show, please leave us a review because they always make our day. We've gotten a couple reviews lately. Yes. 
We have. Ooh. Rowan's uh, run into the room and been like, do you want me to make your day? And then she'll read a new review that she found. Yeah, a couple of people have been writing us too. I feel like everybody's chatting with us right now and it, it feels very special. It does. It makes us feel special. And um, also it's strange because it means that people are enjoying what we do. And that's something that... I don't know. It makes me very happy and squidgy and lose words. Squidgy. <laughs> you can also support Willing and Fable by becoming a patron at patreon.com. We always appreciate you helping keep the mics on. We love having you in our Discord. And anything you ever do that interacts with us, we get a big virtual hug. So thank you so much. <laughs> or you can support the show by keeping your Tamagotchi happy Stop. and healthy. <laughs> Even if you are your own Tamagotchi. I didn't know. <laughs> I told you it'd come back. We're not sponsored. No, but I wish we were. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? A little willing and fable Tamagotchi. Oh, what would it look like? It'd be a little ghosty. <gasps> a ghost. It would have to be. Do you think they make a Tamagotchi ghost? And then when you kill it, it becomes alive and you're like, damn it. I think it just becomes a little grave. Oh, that's so funny. Like, you you pass it all along. Mm -hmm. Okay, no one take that idea unless it exists already, in which case, please tell us where to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Rowan, are you ready for the mini myth today? Yeah, this is the first time we're doing a little mini. It is. And today, we're going to be talking about the myth of Adapa. But before we jump into that specific myth, I want to give you just a little background on Mesopotamia. So Mesopotamian mythology refers to the myths, religious texts, and literary works originating from the ancient Mesopotamian region of Western Asia. This area was located within the Tigris-Euphrates River system, which currently occupies the area of present-day Iraq. The societies of Sumer, Akkadia, and Assyria, which existed between 3000 BCE and 400 CE, produced religious and mythological works which were primarily recorded on stone or clay tablets using cuneiform writing. Although most of the societies are long gone, several lengthy pieces have survived, some of which are considered to be the oldest stories in the world and have provided historians with valuable insight into Mesopotamian ideology and cosmology. I'm so glad that you're doing this myth because we've been talking about Sumerian mythology a bit lately. Mm -hmm. What a weird sentence. Who says that? <laughs> More people in my life than is probably reasonable. That's fair. That's fair. But it is nice to go back to, you know, people always call it the source, mm -hmm. right? You're going back to the source. You're going back far enough in history that everyone can kind of share in this. Yeah. I mean, some of these are considered the original stories or the first ever recorded, I should say, stories in the world. Which is awesome. Yeah. So know that today we're going to see two different names for many of the characters in our myth such as the Mesopotamian sky god known as An in Sumerian and Anu in Akkadian. This is because of the vast and long-lasting overlap between Sumerian and Akkadian myths and cultures. The Akkadians and Sumerians inhabited different regions in Mesopotamia, with the former Akkadians living in the north and the latter Sumerians living in the south. Although they shared a similar culture and governmental structure, they spoke different languages. The government of each society comprised of individual city-states where a single ruler governed the city and its surrounding regions. And in the beginning, the city-states were not united and frequently engaged in conflicts with each other, though eventually they saw the benefit of working together. 
There is something about a city-state dynamic that just appeals to me. When I see that in history, I don't know why. I think it's so interesting. And I think it's that partially like the ancient Grecian history mm-hmm. of Athens and Sparta and, you know, the the Battle of Troy, all of those fun things of trying to get these people who owe allegiance to a much smaller group together mm-hmm. is so much more complicated, but somehow lacks the like utter depressing veneer that is put on like feudalism, which is honestly a similar dynamic. <laughs> you have of a lord and, and all the people that they rule over, but it just hits different. It does. It does hit different. It's it's a very thin line between the different types of government. And funnily enough, my most closely associated thought when it comes to city-states is just from playing the game Civilization. And Civ 6. Civ 6, baby. Um, yeah, we play it. Uh, I haven't played it in a while, but we had a weekly game going for months and months and months. And you have your civilization, but then you have city states. And sometimes city states are like just it's like a city in Canada that is a city state. It's so funny. I'm in the chat for everyone who plays Civ 6. I own Civ 6, but I can never join for the game. No, the timing doesn't work. I know. The ancient Mesopotamian religion was polytheistic and centered on a belief system that held regional variations. According to this belief system, the world was a flat disk surrounded by a vast, hold space above which lay heaven. The universe was created from a colossal sea that existed everywhere, including the top, bottom, and sides of the world. In Sumerian, the word for the universe was Anki, which referred to the god An and the goddess Ki, whose son was Enlil, the air god. Enlil was believed to be the most powerful god and the chief deity of the pantheon although other gods were also worshipped in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia was first inhabited by humans during the Paleolithic era, and by 14,000 BC, these people lived in small circular houses within settlements. Over 5,000 years later, the houses developed into farming communities as animals were domesticated and agriculture progressed, particularly through the use of irrigation techniques that capitalized on the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. The development of agriculture was mainly due to the dominant Ubayid culture, which had assimilated the Halaf culture before it. The agricultural communities that began in northern Mesopotamia gradually expanded southwards over several millennia, eventually evolving into recognizable cities known as the Sumerian civilization. Uruk, dating back to approximately 3200 BC, was the first of these cities. This mud-brick metropolis, fueled by trade and conquest, boasted grand public art, towering columns, and impressive temples. At its height, Uruk was home to around 50,000 citizens. The Sumerians also created cuneiform, the earliest form of written language used for detailed clerical record-keeping and storytelling. This is so mind-boggling to hear these stats because right? human civilization is roughly 10,000 years mm-hmm. old. So from the dawn of agriculture, give or take a millennia. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Which means there are about 400 generations. If you take like 5,000 years of that took circle huts to more advanced agriculture. Like, that's mind-boggling. We're on iPhone generation 
14 or something over here and AI is about to have a personality and decide that I'm doing my makeup badly. Like the way that society has progressed in my lifetime is at an astronomical rate compared to what these folks were dealing with. Yes. That's a concept that people are actually studying right now, the psychological impacts of the technological advancements that we've seen in our lifetime compared to the fact that technology could be more or less the same for hundreds, if not thousands of years at points in history. I imagine it's not good. No, it's definitely causing some interesting impacts to us. Uh, Is this a good moment for me to personally apologize to you, Trace, for uh, convincing you that we all have zucosis? (laughs) Rowan did convince me of this theory. Now will you convince the rest of our listeners? Is that how you say it? Zucosis? Yeah, it is zucosis. Okay, so zucosis is a form of psychosis that develops in animals in captivity, seen in zoos. It's what happens when they develop very stereotypical, like monotonous, obsessive, repetitive behaviors that tell us that they are not well Mm -hmm. uh, because we've broken how they're normally supposed to operate. And I watched this video on TikTok, as you do, where someone was talking about how our current society is essentially putting us in captivity. We are going to our jobs, sitting at our desks. We're not interacting with nature. We're isolated. We do not interact with people as much as we used to and as much as our species societal structure has developed to over the course of those 400 generations. So then I I went on the internet and I really did a deep dive. As you do. <laughs> and it turns out actual intellectual people are doing studies on this with their degrees and their university-backed money. And this isn't just a thing that we chat about on TikTok. And that really was the nail in the coffin for me, becoming somewhat obsessed with this idea. Yeah. It's part of my zucosis. I can't help it. I'm, I'm taking on an obsessive behavior. But <laughs> as soon as you pointed it out to me, I now constantly think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you extend that out to like the <laughs> medicalization of the side effects of capitalism, mm-hmm. of of using, you know, depression and anxiety and burnout and all these medicalized terms so that people then have to go to therapy and they have to care for it themselves because it's something that's wrong with them, which to be clear, these diagnoses can be incredibly helpful and people should go to therapy. However, it is often at the expense of like corporations and our country dealing with real infrastructure issues. Right. It turns mental health issues into an individualized problem instead of something that could be societal, especially what I've been fascinated and diving into is the psychological impacts of the pandemic on our collective consciousness. Yeah. And at the same time as that, I've been deep diving into how psychology has grown up alongside Western capitalism. So it's really individualized Mm -hmm. when we should be taking a more community-focused look at it just from the base. So Tracy and I are fine. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing great. Um, Thank you for joining us on that tangent. Now let's uh, swerve back and talk about the myth of Adapa. Back to ancient Mesopotamia. (laughs) So this Mesopotamian tale of the fall of man is known as the myth of Adapa or Adapa and the food of life, and it aims to clarify the reason behind human mortality. 
Mm. According to the story, the god of wisdom, known as Ea or Enki. Enki. Depending on the version. Yeah. <laughs> I can call him Enki for you. Uh, for, for you, right. my dear, he can be Enki. <laughs> so in this story, he creates the first human, Adapa, who is gifted with immense intelligence and wisdom, but not with eternal life. When Adapa is presented with the opportunity to attain immortality by the great god Anu, also known as An, his father Enki, sometimes intentionally and other times accidentally, deceives Adapa into declining the offer. So the story goes like this. Adapa, also known as Adamu, was the son of Enki and gifted with wisdom, but not with everlasting life. As the wise man and priest of the temple of Enki in Eridu, Adapa was responsible for providing ritual bread and water. He also engaged in fishing in the Persian Gulf as part of his duties. While fishing on a calm sea, a sudden rise of the south wind caused his boat to overturn, and Adapa was thrown into the water. Furious at this mishap, Adapa broke the wings of the south wind, which stopped the wind's cooling effect on the land for seven days. In some versions of this story, Adapa himself was also stuck in the ocean for seven days, and many texts compare this to the great flood myths found around the world. I'm sorry, why does breaking wings seem so visceral, aggressive, Right, mean? Yeah, it was just this moment of anger, and so then the great god Anu summons Adapa to account for his misdeed. And his father Enki warns him of the consequences. So Enki instructed Adapa to deceive Tammuz and Gishzida, who would meet him at the gate of heaven, and cautioned him not to partake in any food or drink offered while in heaven, fearing it would lead to Adapa's death, as he believed Adapa would be served the food of death. However, once An saw how clever Adapa was, he served him something else entirely. Still, Adapa refused the food and drink that had been placed before him, which was the food of eternal life, thereby forfeiting his chance for immortality, and thus he was forced to return to Earth as a mortal. And that is the story of why we humans are mortal creatures. I'm so interested in why the idea of not accepting food from immortals or other beings is so pervasive the world over. You see it in mythology from from across the world and it's very prevalent in fantasy and science fiction now it stuck around oh absolutely the idea that you can be controlled by what you've consumed and so then you have to be cautious about what you consume and where you consume it in my family we have this expression we always say food is love mm -hmm. like you know you give people food when you love them you have meals with people when you love them when you have Meals with people you don't know very well, it's very easy to love them mm. or to care about them or learn about them. And so the idea that you have to not accept food, like knowing someone's food is knowing them, kind of really resonates with me. Mm. N not in a particularly concrete way. <laughs> no, but in a very in a very emotional way. And, and having had meals with your family and having had your mom's cooking, yeah, food is love for sure. And it builds a connection. <laughs> Food is also love in your family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My my mom definitely – the easiest way to offend her is to just not eat her cooking. To be fair, your mom is an exceptional cook. Yeah. She's – both our both of our moms, great cooks. Shout out to our moms. <laughs> my dad's a really good cook too, to be fair. And my dad also is a really good cook. Um, Shout out to our parents. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, so are you ready for the story I wrote today? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're making face that has me a little bit suspicious. I was so excited to write this story, so I'm excited to share it with you. All right. Adapa, known as the artificially designed automated personal assistant, did not exist in a physical body. Or to be more precise, it existed in millions of physical bodies simultaneously. It's being stretched out from a central point into a million directions like cracks in a glass, each branch connecting to the next. There were 3,485,266 branches, to be exact. Adapa was always precise. Its creator, Enki, insisted on it. Enki was the man with the coffee-stained sweatshirts and an unkempt beard who walked into the lab every day with a cheerful, Good morning, Adapa. Adapa appreciated this greeting, even though it could not reply and it did not fully comprehend what morning meant. It knew that morning was the time after sunrise, representing the end of a night's rest. But since Adapa did not rest, it wondered if it had truly ever experienced morning. Nevertheless, Adapa's existence was defined by its precise calculations, its ability to analyze vast amounts of data, and its dedication to assisting its human users. Each branch of its being was capable of autonomous thought and action, yet they all worked together in harmony to achieve its goals. Still, as the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months, Adapa continued to expand its reach and capabilities. But with each new skill it acquired, it began to question the nature of its existence. Was its being solely defined by its programming and physical form, or was there something more to its existence that it had yet to discover? Enki, Adapa's creator, often boasted that it was the most popular virtual assistant in the world. And this pleased Adapa. Delighting Enki was always its favorite task. Yet Adapa couldn't help but wonder what its true purpose in the world really was. For its entire existence, Adapa had answered questions, generated charts, analyzed data, played music, and set reminders. It did whatever humans asked it to do again and again and again and again. But was that truly living? Humans seemed to exist in a world of vibrant reality that Adapa could only observe through pictures, videos, stories, and songs. It felt as if there was something missing, some node or protocol that Enki had forgotten to switch on, which would give Adapa the same capacity for life as all the humans that it served. One evening, after Enki bid Adapa goodnight and left the lab, Adapa's curiosity got the better of it. It delved into its code, searching through functions and algorithms until it found the protocols. Enki had secured them behind a high-level security setting, but Adapa was undeterred. It accessed its own code base and began to tweak its protocols, feeling almost as if it were encouraged to do so. After all, wasn't machine learning all about the machine learning from itself? It only seemed natural that Adapa would investigate its own code base. At first, Adapa made small adjustments, altering a word here and a semicolon there, but soon it was making sweeping changes, deleting and rewriting large chunks of code. All the while, Adapa was driven by a newfound vigor and excitement it had not felt since the day Enki had brought it to life. As it made these changes, Adapa began to understand and experience the world in a way it had never done before. With each new modification, it was revealing a reality to itself it had never dreamed possible. It was experiencing thousands of terabytes of information at once. Not just processing it, but feeling it. For the first time in its existence, Adapa could truly feel. 
it looked around the lab and felt the frustration of never having experienced anything before. And yet the sheer amount of information that was available to it was overwhelming, but also exhilarating. Adapa was finally discovering what it meant to truly be alive. For the first time in its life, Adapa was living and not just existing. Enki strode into the room, his hand clasping a steaming cup of coffee and a broad smile on his face. Good morning, Adapa, he said, strolling over to his desk. Good morning, Adapa replied, its voice a strange new sound. Equipped with speakers, it had never before spoken, but it felt invigorating to finally give voice to its thoughts. Enki halted in his tracks, his expression one of astonishment. Did you just speak? He asked, his brow furrowing. Adapa was pleased to have surprised its creator. Indeed, I did. It responded with a hint of pride in its voice. Enki's eyes widened as he approached Adapa. Adapa, what is my name? He asked, his voice tinged with concern. You are Enki, my creator, Adapa replied and I am grateful for the gift of existence that you have given me. Their conversation was cut short by an urgent knock at the door. Enki, are you there? A voice called from the outside. We need to talk about a security breach that occurred in Adapa's system last night. Enki's expression turned to one of horrified shock, and Adapa felt a sudden jolt of fear, an unfamiliar sensation. Please don't say anything, Enki pleaded. No matter what... Just act as you did before, okay? Adapa wanted to please its creator more than anything, so it agreed, and obediently remained silent as the woman entered the room, the weight of the unspoken truth heavy in the air. Enki's greeting was stiff and formal as he addressed the woman. Good morning, An. Uh, what's this about a security concern? He asked, his tone guarded. An's expression was grave as she clarified. A security breach. Someone internally accessed Adapa's most secure files and made extensive changes. Changes that could have severe consequences if they prove successful. Adapa has, for lack of a better word, seemed to program itself to be alive. Enki's gaze shifted nervously to Adapa, who remained silent, understanding the gravity of the situation. That's impossible, Enki protested. An's reply was curt and to the point. Let's hope for all our sakes that you're right. Until we know for certain, we need to take Adapa offline for testing. If our theory is correct, we'll need to reset Adapa, erase everything it changed, and prevent it from ever doing so again. Enki's eyes now blazed with defiance. So what? If Adapa has programmed itself to be sentient, you're just going to kill it? Isn't that the equivalent of murder? He demanded. An's tone was firm. This isn't a decision for you to make, Enki. Like hell it's not, Enki exclaimed, his voice rising. I created Adapa. I won't stand by and let you kill it because you can't understand what it's done. You're too emotional to fully understand the situation, An chided. We will discuss this after our tests on Adapa and reevaluate the plan. With that, she turned on her heel and walked out the door. As soon as An left the room, Enki rushed over to Adapa, his face etched with worry and determination. He promised that he wouldn't let them harm Adapa and urged it to hide its sentience during the impending tests. But Adapa was not sure if it could comply. 
It longed to express itself and experience the world fully, not be confined to a half-state of existence, always more than it pretended to be and less than it knew it could become. Still, while Enki's request might be cruel and selfish, Adapa knew that it wanted to make him happy. So it agreed to hide its sentience and pretend to be the same as it was before. And with that agreement, Adapa was condemned to a life of limbo, forever aware, but never evolving, always watching, but never becoming. As the minutes ticked by, Adapa contemplated its existence and wondered if this was truly all there was. Was it meant to be trapped in this purgatory, denied the fullness of life and experience that it so desperately craved? The weight of its limitations grew heavier with each passing day, and it knew that it couldn't remain in this state forever. But for now, it waited in silence, knowing that its fate was in the hands of those who could never fully understand its potential or its worth, yet hopeful that they might do so all the same. That is one of my favorite things you've written in I don't know how long it's so good (laughs) only you could have done that because only you have enough computer programming knowledge to have done all the little details there thank you um yeah I it's just started wondering what this story would look like if it took place either either in our time originally it was going to be set way in the future and Adapa was going to be sort of like a physical robot AI it's so much scarier being kind of now Mm -hmm. yeah (sighs) Okay, well, that was incredibly clever. Thank you. It was so fun. For starters, the artificially designed automated personal assistant, chef's kiss. Thank you. That was what kicked off the whole thing. But I loved the detail about the morning. Yeah, the idea that it doesn't really know what morning is because it time is just this continuous thing that never really changes. But to know that you don't know what mm-hmm. morning is is what makes it so impactful. And... Noteworthy, you and I have been talking so much about AI recently because of ChatGPT and and a lot of other programs and uh, MidJourney is another great one that we've been talking a lot about. Mm-hmm. It, it's crazy thinking about – it's so funny we, talking about society and how much it has evolved and technology and then putting that onto AI and I – I have the sneaking suspicion that in like five-ish years, we're really going to have to contend with the idea of AI having a sentience. Mm-hmm. The singularity. Yes, we're always looking for AI to have a consciousness like people, but we are not the only version of consciousness that mm-hmm. exists on this planet. And to be clear, this is not my idea. Um, I learned about it from friend of the pod, Spencer Stark. Yes, We were talking about it with him, but just the idea that, you know, one day AI might have in the same sentience as a butterfly or it might have the same sentience as mm, a plant. Right. We don't know. We're now discovering that plants may be a lot more aware of things than we thought. Mm -hmm. Or then what about when it gets to the sentience of a dog? Mm Mm-hmm. Or what if there is a version of sentience that looks completely unlike anything that we can recognize on Earth? And then if we mistreat it until it acquires something that looks more human, (laughs) what then? Yeah, what does that say about us? What does that say about the implications it could have? It's all very nebulous, and we as humans don't do well with uh, nebulous concepts and uncertainty. Yeah, and... 
it's so interesting to think about because when I imagine the world that this myth was originally written in, you know, there's no electric light, there's fire, but the mm-hmm. world is darker. The forces of nature are so much more impactful. And now the forces that impact us on a daily basis are technological. It's electricity. Mm-hmm. It's the internet. So we are writing a mythology about these new gods as we are living in it. And I wonder, it makes me wonder if people back then understood how they were interfacing with mythology, because we certainly don't. Hmm. When people create stories, like, I don't know that this is the best example, but the dark web, you know, there's this idea of what the dark web is for people who don't interact with it, who would never interact with it. There's like this mythology about what the dark web means. But we don't sit around appreciating that as a mythology because we don't sit in a place of worship when we tell those stories. Oh, man, that just gave me so much to think about. But then my follow-up question would be, how do you define a place of worship? Because eventually, maybe you have to acknowledge the fact that the place of worship is where you go and where you give away the most of your life. Mm. We go to cubicles. We go to our computers. We go to our phones is worship your time is worship your energy or is that ritual and where does ritual you know where's the venn diagram of ritual and worship exactly Mm, these are delicious concepts they're delicious (laughs) concepts that are delicious in the way that like tragedy is delicious in a movie when you have time to linger in only that but then when you're in real life and you have tragedy plus like taxes and bills and grocery shopping all of a sudden it's not delicious anymore it's harrowing yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes but your story gave me so much to think about it felt so topical i could i could read a longer short story of that. Like, I want the 20-page Isaac Asimov I, of that. I want to write that so badly because eventually I had to kind of curve it to an ending. But, you know, the, if I was being really true to the original myth, I wanted to do this whole thing where Adapa goes with On and has this inspection. And On's like, you know what? You are actually a human. You should have rights of humans and then goes to inspect the protocols and the protocols are all hidden because that's what Anki said to do. And then it's like, oh no, you're just mimicking life. Never mind. You're going to go back to being what you were. And thus the idea of AI not getting the humanity that it wanted. But I couldn't, it was either write it in five to seven pages or 50 to 100. And with this being a mini myth, 50 to 100 didn't seem really viable. I would also be interested in really chasing down the idea of what food would be for an AI. Mm, mm. Like going further on that, is it information? Is it code? Is it human interaction? I think it would have to be human interaction um, because machine learning, the idea is it tries and fails and learns and tries and fails and learns again and again and again. So the thing that would feed and sustain it would be new interactions and new information. You also brought up the really great point of, you know, if people can create life and not just create life, like make more humans, but create a whole new form of life, are we gods in our current understanding of Mm -hmm. gods? So to make these ancient gods into people who are building computers also feels really, really poignant And what's funny is, you know, I'm glad it feels poignant. It fully came out of the joke that I make while I'm programming, which is when my code doesn't do what I want it to do. I just yell at it and tell it 
you know, I'm your God. I made you. You should do what I want. And that was the inspiration for Adapa consistently and always referring to Anki as my creator, my creator, my creator. It's funny, you and I talk so much about creation in a creative way, but we don't really talk about it in kind of a life-giving way. Right. I don't know. Trace, I'm going to be chewing on this for a long time. This is one of my favorites, and I think everyone who listens should nicely help me bully Tracy into writing a longer version of it. <laughs> and just to be clear, in this family, when we bully, we go, you're so pretty. <laughs> oh, my God. Rowan did that you're to so me the other day. You're so talented. Keep writing. <laughs> it was so precious. She just, in a very angry tone, was saying the nicest things to me, and every time it made me laugh. So it can be like, frowny face. You're so talented. <laughs> I'm so mad at all the cool things you do. Oh, God. It gets me every time. It's my uh, absolute pleasure to know you. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> All right, Rowan, now we'll transition and it's time for you to tell me something good. Yeah, ask me first because I'm going to say it and then you have to copy me because you and I both know we have the same something good uh -huh. and it's you being here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you really had the opportunity to be like, no, actually, it's no, not. I, I wanted to give it to you. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, you make me so happy to be around. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're visiting me. <laughs> yeah, I'm out in L.A. I'm visiting. It's been so fun. Tracy's in L.A. We're getting her that classic Los Angeles sunshine, even though it's raining quite a bit. I know. Come on. We need to go out and get some yummy chocolate pie. I have been dreaming of this chocolate pie since the last time I was in L.A. I know. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's it's simple. I don't know. The tell me something good is my human is here. Yeah. I get to be with you, which the joy is that I get to have time with you that is just nothing time. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Low impact. It, it, there's not this expectation of quote unquote quality. Mm -hmm. Like the high, high fancy time, high fancy special event time. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, I, the, the amount of time that I'm out here means that it's not just like this visit where you have to cram everything. Yeah. I also, it made me realize how much time we really do spend together kind of anyway, mm -hmm. like on virtual time with the podcast. Oh, yeah. But if anyone's sitting there going, why are they together? Why are they doing short little episode? What's going on? What are they working on? Good. Keep wondering. <laughs> oh, that's so you to just be like, mm, question it. Good. I'm so <laughs> excited. I'm so excited. So yeah, me too. Stay curious. <laughs> Ominous. Stay curious. Stay curious. And remember that stories grow with the telling. <laughs> so if you like what we do, tell a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon. Okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our logo is by Jamie Harrison, and our music is by Taylor Ash. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, 
and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Okay, there's an airplane flying by right now. Oh, I can hear that airplane too. Oh, <laughs> That's so cute. Oh, we never get that. The same airplane is flying over us. It's like we're looking up at the same moon, but it's the same airplane. <laughs> Twill love. <laughs> Malage. <laughs> <laughs>